So today, the Ghana Integrity Initiative released the Corruption Perception Index for 2023. And it made for some grim reading. It, it essentially found that Ghana has made zero progress in the fight against corruption. In this anti-corruption war over the last four years, we have stagnated and made zero progress. And so tonight, we need to look at that. We have to ask a fundamental question. Why has there been zero progress in the last four years? It's a very fundamental question. But once you begin to peel off the layers, you begin to discover the real challenge with the fight against corruption. And this is in spite of the Special Prosecutor's Office, the passage of the Right Information Act, and a host of other interventions that we put in place to try and deal with the subject of corruption. This is, of course, a very important subject this year. And every election year, corruption is at the top of the charts when it comes to people's perceptions and why they will cast a vote in one way or the other. And so we're going to get into that pretty shortly. And as you see on my screens here, this is a picture of what we've seen over the last few years. And I want to quickly run through that for you because this gives you a sense of the historical trends, and then you can put that in the context of what we are learning this, uh, this evening. Of course, it was released during the day, and it's generated a fair bit of controversy. We go to 2023, which is the latest one. We, we rank, uh, we, our score was 43. Now, we've had 43 for the last four years. As you see, 2020, 2021, 2022, and now 2023. Now, what it means is, over the last four years, we haven't moved. We've just stayed still and not done anything in terms of fighting corruption. This is people's perception. But perception is reality in these matters. And it tells you what Ghanaians are thinking and are seeing the results. And so it is reflected in the Corruption Perception Index. And then you go back to the story of 2007, 2008, 2009. And you see... That the story of stagnation continues. And so this really isn't an isolated trend over the last four years. Because if you go to 2018, 2019, as you see on your screen, again, our score was 41. Again, we stagnated for two years. We didn't change. We didn't move at all in terms of what we're doing to fight corruption and how that was reflecting uh, in, in the actual perceptions of corruption in our society. 2017 was our lowest of 40. That's a score there. Now, have a look at that and then begin to compare it to before the president, Anadabwa Kufado, came into power. And then you begin to see a very interesting story emerge. This is an election year, and records are important. And the Corruption Perception Index is a very, very objective record. It, it is globally a, the the ultimate measure of a country's performance when it comes to the war on corruption and whether you're winning it or not. That's where you go to measure if your, your, your efforts are yielding the right results. Now, if you go to the 2012, when John Muhammad took over to now, you see that he climbed and took us all the way to 48, which is our best performance yet in 2015, and then he dropped down. Now, the thing that begins to emerge is Akufuado's best performance of 43, which he's maintained for the last four years, is equivalent to 
John Muhammad's worth so 43 years. And of course, this area here is an area that he takes also, right? So his second, his second worst performance is what Akufado will take home as his best so far. And this is not going to change. In 2015, we'll get to see where he left us in terms of the fight against corruption. But that's the first story. I mean, John Mahama will definitely take the, uh, uh, the 40 that we got here in 2017 because this obviously is measuring um, that particular data uh, in that particular period. And has he done enough to show this? So th- this is a very interesting trend that, that we see here. But then you go to, we're trying to see the changes in terms of who has moved the needle the most. And so we're doing the change, the change elements here. And if you look at John Mahama, he moved it to 48 and then comes down to 47 and 43. Now, the higher your score, the closer you are to 100, the better you're performing, right? And he had 48. And if you look at that, a change of plus two. If you come to when in 2016 before he left 43, that's a change of, of uh, minus uh, four overall. His net performance there is minus two. Because of the work that he did and the movement that we saw, in, in the performance, that zigzag movement that I will show you earlier here, right? And, of course, this point of 14, 2017, uh, Nana will take it because that is his own year uh, of, uh, of authority and supervising that particular uh, year, and he takes the credit for it. If, indeed, it is worse, he also takes it. And then you come to Kufado, you see that he's at zero. He's a zero because, that's the net, right? He's a zero because, as I made the point earlier, he largely has stayed stagnant, hasn't moved in terms of changing the corruption perception index and moving it into the arena where you could point to and say, I'm doing a great work uh, in this particular area. And that's why you see 40, 41, 41, 43. That isn't great movement. He's largely stayed stable uh, and not moved. Now, a very interesting correlation also begins to emerge when you look at the this year's Corruption Perception Index. They, they draw this correlation, which we thought was interesting to highlight, that part of the problem that we're seeing, and this trend of the corruption factor yielding results is not a Ghanaian trend. It is a global trend because you see the global average is 43. So many countries aren't doing that well. But you see a correlation between the justice system, right? There's a correlation between the justice system that if it is deteriorated as the survey and the results show because of the deteriorating justice system, you have a situation where there's a reduction in accountability of public officials, which makes sense, right? Because if the justice system isn't strong enough to deal with corruption, even when there is evidence, there is impunity, and public officials believe they can get away with it. And so what you have is less accountability. And then when you have less accountability, you have thriving corruption. So there is a relationship here between having a strong justice system that can sanction public officers when you're found to be corrupt and your corruption perception index or the pervasiveness of corruption in your society. So this is a link here. And that, for me, is a very important link. It then goes to show that our problem, the fact that we've stagnated, also is a pretty terrible commentary on the on the strength of our justice system. That's what this means fundamentally. Because of our struggles, it shows that our justice system isn't as vibrant, isn't as responsive to our needs right now as it should be. And that is why we're seeing less accountability from public officials 
and thriving corruption. This is according to the, uh, the Transparency Initiative. The, of course, the Ghana chapter is a Ghana Integrity Initiative. They, they show us this and that correlation. We'll discuss that a bit more. Let's drill down this subject a bit more. And it's not, it's not surprising that when you look at the Corruption Perception Index as it relates to the rule of law and isolate the rule of law index, you begin to see why I make the point about our judicial system being weak and producing the outcomes we see because of the low rate, uh, scores that we are getting from the Corruption Perception Index. Because it, if you look at the index, the closer you are to one is between zero and one. The closer you are to one, the stronger your, your rule of law. Now, over the last few years, we have just been around 0.55, which is debt center, average. You are performing averagely in terms of the rule of law in Ghana. If the rule of law is average, corruption will thrive. According to this dynamic that the Transparency International says, right? So that tells you a story. If you go back, our best performance has been in 2017-2018 when we had 0.59. But overall, we've been average, dead center. We, we're not as, as close to one as we should be. And no wonder we're having the challenges that we're having currently, right? And let's trace it back. And then you look at our peers in the SAP region and elsewhere, and you begin to instantly see that this is a global problem because you have the Ghana score of 40. 43, you have the sub-Saharan score of just around 30, and I've heard some people say today, but yeah, I mean, the sub-region, we are doing good. We're doing good in the sub-region, but if you, if you put yourself in the shoes of a blind man, a one-eyed man will be kin. And possibly that's a story we've seen emerging in the sub-region, which is 33. 33 is what the average uh, score is in the sub-region. We are at 43, and so many say, oh, that's a 10. And uh, 10 points difference there. But yeah, sub region, who are you comparing yourself to? Global average is around 43.2. So again, it tells you a story that Ghana is playing within a global, global uh, space where many countries aren't doing as well. And, and then you look at the, uh, as it relates to the prosecutions that the Office of the Special Prosecutor is trying to do. It, it, is, it isn't good. We have zero convictions, zero. Uh, well, one acquittal, zero convictions. That tells you a story. It relates back to the point I made about the correlation between the justice system and the, how effective uh, uh, your, your fight against corruption will be. That is a story today uh, from the Ghana Integrity Initiative, of course, the Transparency International. My guests are joining me, and I'm, I'm, I'm really looking forward to this conversation because the Deputy Attorney General is my guest. He has been also analyzing this himself, and he has some thoughts on this. The resourcing question... The, uh, the, the conduct of public officers, uh, bail where is that? He'll talk to us. Daniel Demelovo, you see him on your screens there. He is a former Auditor General. He will also share his thoughts why we're stagnating with the period. And then we'll talk to the Executive Director of the Ghana Integrity Initiative. They pulled this out today, giving us a lot to chew on, Mariada, as you see here on your shot there. After this break, we'll get into the real discussion. But I'm really interested in how do we get out of this stagnation? Imperius is always brought to you by Syntex Tanks. It is strong, it is tough. I love it experience greatness in every moment. Ghana AIDS Commission, Pepsodent, every smile matters. And no matter your water needs, Syntex Tanks has it all. Uh, it is a tank I always recommend for you because they have the double layer tanks but also have specs for you, which is bespoke. You want to call them 0244 um, 
0244-335-168 or shop online at syntexgh.com. Syntex tanks are strong and tough. Also, pepsodent cavity fighter is fortified with pro fluoride and microcalcium ingredients uh, sealing tiny and invisible holes in your teeth. This prevents cavities, keeps your teeth strong and mouth healthy. Pepsodent cavity comes in 175 uh, grams, big family pack, and in 20 Jaqua Park 65G and 12G sachet as well. So you can't always get what you can afford at any time. Pepsodent, every smile matters. My guest joining me uh, right now is Mariada. He's executive director of the Ghana uh, Integrity Initiative, the local chapter of Transparency International. Daniel Demelevo is a former Auditor General and Alfred Chayeboa is a Deputy Attorney General. And I want to start first with you, Alfred Chayeboa. So you look at the statistics as we just went through as it relates to the Corruption Perception Index. And in the last four years, it, it has stagnated. I mean, it means that there has been zero progress made in the last four years. What's your reaction to that? Thank you very much, Ivan. And greetings to my, my, my friends also with me, Mr. Domelevo, and then my sister, Aunt Mary. Now, this report is a report that, as a government, we will never say that we will not look at issues have been raised in the reports. We need to look at the issues in the reports. We need to also look at why for the past four years we have stagnated. Having looked at the reports, my initial comments are that perhaps the approach that we have adopted has not achieved entirely what we want to achieve. What do I mean by that? If you look at legislative framework, we have all the laws, virtually every law that you need to fight corruption in any civilized society can be found in Ghana. Mm. We have the institutions, various institutions that are supposed to work to eradicate or fight corruption. We have the personnel, people are also working. So question, why are we stagnating for the last four years? And that's the very reason why we need to interrogate this report and see where we can take it up from. Mary, why have we stagnated despite the effort? Uh, please unmute for me. Yes, I can hear you now, yes. Uh, I can, good yes. evening to you, Evans, and good evening to my co-panelists. I believe that is a very straightforward question that we all need to interrogate and that's why this morning the Ghana Integrity Initiative took time to convene a roundtable to discuss what else can we as a people, as a country, do to ensure that we identify where we are, what we need to do to change the narrative. So let me add on to what um, uh, my brother, the Deputy Attorney General, has said. And to say that we have the laws, all right, that is true. We have the institutions that are created, some constitutional, others by legislative frameworks. And then we also have the very competent persons in country who are supposed to be doing this work. However, as he has espoused, the laws exist, all right. But the laws do not fight corruption comprehensively. Let me give an example of one of such uh, uh, gaps in the law. If you take the issue around the definition of corruption, 
the United Nations Convention Against Corruption espouses that because corruption is a nebulous concept, uh, defining it to mean it is bribery or one thing is constricting. And so let's look at it. And then every country look at adopting a law that expands the definition of corruption beyond the ordinary corporates that we all know, bribery, uh, the fraud elements, which do not necessarily constitute cor pure corrupt behavior as we speak. But then you, you realize there are elements of influence peddling, mm. abuse of discretion, abuse of power, abuse of office, uh, facilitation, and others. It, it encompasses a lot more. And recently, we're doing an analysis of other countries within our sub-region. And we saw that uh, most of them even have anti-corruption laws specifically designed to fight corruption. And looking at what the NACAP uh, wants us to do. And so the gaps within our system is also a problem of defining corruption to suit. When you take unexplained wealth, for instance, you realize what has happened recently with the special prosecutor in court. He goes and is either struck out or mm. he has to also then become more wise to see how he can collaborate with other institutions to save him. So the laws exist, but uh, the crafters of the laws, I, I don't know whether it's been intentional, uh, have uh, ensured that there are certain lacunas within these laws that permits some behaviors uh, which constitute corruption. And in this case, when these behaviors manifest, it is, remember, the CPI is calculated mm. uh, based on surveys that have been uh, uh, conducted within a 24-month period. And this captures the views and opinions of experts and business people who engage our public sector. So you've, you've, talk, you've, talked about the, you've talked about the defects in the law, but what about the institutions? Yeah. So, you have the special prosecutor's office that has been. I was coming to that. I was going to also say that some of these institutions are set up today. The Honorable Madame Makosua Femopari uh, mentioned some of the things government has done so far. Admittedly, there have been several things that have been done. Uh, one being even setting up the institution as proposed even in the NACAP document. Mm. Uh, Set up the NACAP departs from this because it talks it talked about setting up that office in the office of the attorney general. But uh, the MPP decided that they needed a separate office until uh, such a time that we've been able to navigate around the challenges of the article 88.4. I think so. Honorable will correct me if it's wrong. But this is we set up these institutions, and if you take the special prosecutor. For instance, he's been there for six years, trying to set up and trying also to function. That's another challenge. We have a challenge of lack of resources, and it culminates in the fact that we allocate budgets, and then the disbursements are short. So if you take an institution again like Shrag, if you go around the country and you see the state in which the district offices uh, in some of the districts are operating, it's sad. So it's not about setting up the institutions or ensuring that the architecture within which to operationalize are there. It's about resourcing them, intentionally resourcing them. It's about ensuring that these institutions are working together.
And when I say working together, the executive, the legislature, and the judiciary should be seen to be working more closely together to ensure that we do a better job. And, 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 you, and you make the point about resources. I want to bring in Daniel Domelevo. Mr. Domelevo, you were the Auditor General. When you look, part of the period that the, the, we've stagnated over the last four years, part of that also fell within the time that I guess you were, you were there just before you left. Are you surprised that we haven't made any progress, zero progress in four years? Okay, uh, we'll try and get him back. I believe that uh, the network have just dropped there. But I want to go back to um, the Deputy Attorney General on the subject of resourcing. We know that when the former uh, OSP was there, he complained about lack of resources. This current OSP has complained about lack of resources. Isn't part of the problem we are talking about, the reason why you have the institution, you have the laws, and yet we are failing to see the outcome because we haven't resourced these institutions adequately enough to do the, to do the job that we've paid them to do? Yes. It needs to be understood that no institution in Ghana has adequate resources. And no institution has ever had 100% resources. Depending on the size of the budget, institutions are allocated the various resources that they need. And if you look at the corruption institution, if you take the OSP and you trace back from where the, the OSP was set up and the amount of money that has been pumped into OSP operation, I don't think it's something that we can say is not commendable. But of course, what they need is not what they'll be able to get. If you take Commission of Human Rights, before 2017, they were being resourced. After 2017, they've been resourced incrementally. Mm. If you take Yoko, the same. We take the judiciary, the same. But if you take specifically the OSP, it's been existing for six years. Understandably, six years, you cannot say you can assess OSP for the six years that they've been in office and you think that it should be a fair assessment. Because before you can set up the office and have it run, you may need some time. My view is that OSP has been given some resources. If there were enough or more than enough resources, they should be given more. But what they have now, it's my expectation that they will work within the constraints that they have, and they are doing so as we speak. So in terms of resource question, I don't think it's something that we can use as a base to say that's the very reason why we are stagnated. If you come to the Office of Attorney General, where we have over three to 400 attorneys, and you look at the size of our budget and the constraints within which we are prosecuting cases from A to Z minus corruption-related matters, it tells you, that whatever resource that you are located, we work in it. And for that question alone, cannot be the base to say that's the reason why we are stagnated. Evans. Yeah, okay, so if it's not a resource question, and it's not about the legal framework, I mean, for the legal framework is that there are loopholes in there, but at least we have the requisite laws to deal with corruption, quite vast and extensive. And it's not also about institutions. What is it? Evans, I see reporting as a key factor. When you say reporting, now, what do you mean? Yes, corruption is a two-way affair. You have the giver, you have the receiver. The giver, if he's, if he's reported and he can be arrested and prosecuted, the receiver too can be investigated and prosecuted. And so if the giver realizes that upon complaining, he can be prosecuted, the only thing that he can do is that he just keep quiet, go back to his home, and then tell his friend. 
The friend will tell a friend, then it falls into the rumor mail. Then what happens is that people here become that kind of perception. The person who has received it, because he knows that he will also be prosecuted, definitely will not go and report himself to the security agencies. People are not ready to report corrupt activities, but people are so comfortable going to the rumor mail, just trying to tell others that the system is so corrupt, the system is so corrupt, without reporting and without giving evidence to the agencies to work with. Well, I mean, but you, you, so you're fundamentally saying that for you, the primary reason why in the last four years we've made zero progress in the fight against corruption is because people aren't reporting? Not exactly so. It's one of the factors. Now, Evans, if you look at the media landscape from 92 to 2024, look at the total number of radio stations that we have. Look at the total number of TV stations that we have. Look at the total number of uh, uh, newspapers that we have. Because the force will be in a kind of expansion in the media landscape. Every single rumor finds its way into the media landscape. And it feeds into that system also. And so if you are comparing this year, as I guess perhaps will be 2010, 2008, you may have to look at the dynamics. And it's also purely attitude now. Are we ready change our attitude well but that starts with leadership and and today we had from the gi making the point that fundamental problem is leadership and that in the last four years we've started i I show the i show the the trends there if you really compare over the last um more than 10 years you see that the last four years in fact last six years has been possibly one of our most challenging periods when it comes to the corruption perception index isn't that down to the lack of political will and good, committed political leadership, i.e. the president himself? Uh, of course, you are the Attorney General's department, so a huge chunk of this falls on you to deal with this. And that you see this dichotomy between the rhetoric and, and what actually happens. Yes, I don't see that dichotomy. If the, if the president says... I'm going to fight corruption through the setting up of the Office of Special Prosecutor. Has the office not been set up? Two, the president says that he's, he's going to make sure that the Whistleblowers Act is passed into law and is done. Is that not an action taken? The president says that he's going to appoint someone who's independent enough to man that office. And a person is appointed to man that who is also competent and then independent. Is that not a commitment? In terms of prosecuting cases in court, the president, with all the respect, does not have the power to convict people. That's a fundamental thing. At best, there are state agencies that are supposed to work, that are supposed to investigate cases. And those agencies, they work with the information that they get. And so, for example, the president sets up the Office of Special Prosecutor, and reports are made to the office of OSP, and they investigate, go to court, and they either lose or win. In the event that they even lose, you cannot say the president doesn't show the, doesn't show the commitment. Unless, of course, you can convince me with evidence that there was an issue where someone was accused of being corrupt. The president says, no, I will not allow you to investigate that person. That's where you can say actions have not been taken. Otherwise, I disagree. Okay, Mary, your reaction to that? Evans, uh, perhaps um, if we want to engage in this banter, we would not uh, close. Uh, we believe that leadership is key. Leadership is key because leadership actions and inactions determine 
how this fight can go, if it will be successful or not. You realize that in other dispensations, when people hold public office and issues are spoken about them, when issues come up, they quickly either resign or they appoint or then decide to let them go. It doesn't matter whether there is any investigation ongoing or not. So for us, leadership is committed to the fight against corruption. When there are issues, we believe that leadership can take action. And in leadership, I am not talking about just the president. I am talking about leadership across the public sector. Mm. And so, for instance, if uh, at the attorney general's office, there is an issue, the attorney general can take action immediately on such uh, any employee who contravenes the code of office. That's what we are talking about. Again, Evans, one of the issues that we haven't dealt with and we haven't done very well at is the fact that we are supposed to be deterring corruption, and yet all our actions are not deterrent enough. We have said that as public servants, they need to be a law that regulates their behavior. Admittedly, there are administrative codes around, but we need to criminalize some conducts, including unexplained wealth, including conflict of interest. Are you referring to the, the conduct of public officers? Exactly. And, and therein, we have best practice, which we have been uh, advocating, that we need to see publication of assets by public officers. We need to see a regime where public officers who leave office are supposed to then confirm or verify whether those assets they came into office with, if they have added on, how did they add on? So that's an element of the unexplained wealth being added. So there have been instances where you see in some jurisdictions, like the Singapore we talk about on each uh, 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 as the best example, uh, which led to such a big revolution in change and development. There were issues. Uh, I, I remember a story where the president's friend had an issue, and it wasn't that big. He calls the president. The president says, I cannot help you. Let the processes uh, go on. And the person had to commit suicide. And that is a close friend of the uh, uh, Lin Kuan Yu at the time. We want to see such happen in Ghana. Instead of the over-politicization of our fight against corruption and mostly the rhetoric that accompanies it. And today the special prosecutor again tells us that sometimes even the commitment that is preferred rhetorically does not show because there is so much pressure being brought to bear on the institutions that are supposed to be fighting corruption. I see. And, 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 and thankfully, we have Daniel Domelevo, who used to be in one of the institutions. He headed it. He's back on. We lost him briefly. Um, Mr. Domelevo, quick, give, me, give me your quick reaction to the stagnation we've seen. Four years, stuck at 43, that score, which shows that in four years we haven't moved. Surprised by that? I am not surprised. In fact, if there is any surprise at all, let me say start first by say good evening to the panelists, uh, Honorable Alfred, the Deputy Attorney General, and my sister Mary, and yourself, your good self. 
let me say that uh, I am actually surprised that we have stagnated. I was expecting a reduction because if you follow the issues of corruption going on in the country, one would have expected that we would have been downgraded. So even where we are now, I think uh, it's not a true reflection of the situation on the ground. Yes, the Deputy Attorney General made us to understand that we have the legal framework, which is true. We have the institutions and we have the personnel. So the question is why? It is not the laws which are going to fight corruption. Neither the institutions mm-hmm. and the persons only. We need leadership in the fight against corruption. If there is leadership in the fight against corruption, as my sister Mary was alluding to, it sends the signal throughout the system. I keep saying to people that in public financial management, issues relating to public management, it storms at the top and then it drizzles at the bottom. If there is no storm at the top, if we are not addressing the issues at the top, like Lin Kuan Yong that he mm. is referring to, they decided to hold the bull by the horn, not by the tail. We are holding the bull by the tail. We are looking for small, small flies to use as examples of our fight against corruption. Instead of holding the top officials who are wasting, stealing, and disbursing billions of our money. But then, who, 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 who is going to do that holding? Isn't it the institutions, the charge, the, the SP, and others? And they are headed by independent individuals and groups of staff who have been appointed there to do the, the job for on our behalf. Yes, these institutions have been put in place, but they are all weak. They ah, are why? Weak. why? Why are they for weak? For instance, the office, the office of the president has demobilized the office of the auditor general. You see the disallowances and the surcharges, which are the mandate of the auditor general going as expected. How is this it being done? More or less. How is this, this, this demobilization? Say again. This demobilization of the Auditor General's Department, for example, how has it been achieved? Yes, it has been achieved by what the President did to me. The accounts have a proverb that Edua Anansi Ediwunu and Tunkuma Entrasi Entunku. So the fruit that uh, to it, the fruit that Anansi has eaten and died, the sun does not go under that tree to sleep. So others are deterred or they fear for themselves that what happened to me may also happen to them. Go to the special prosecutor, as you are saying. True, we have the office of the special prosecutor. Has it been effective? From my point of view, no. It has not been as effective as it should be. The first one uh, complained. The second one is complaining. So it's not just about... Uh, it, it, it hasn't been effective. Is it because of the people heading it or the institution itself is defective? Or for because of political interference? Where do you put it? The environment, the political interference, the environment does not allow it to function the way it should function. But we don't have any evidence yet that there's been political interference in the work of the special prosecutor, for example. Exactly. Martin Amidou made us to understand that the presidency was interfering in his job. The current one, Kisia Jabin, has also made us to know that there is a gang up at the, the court against him. So... Uh, so wh- who, what will let the judiciary, for instance, work against the office of the special prosecutor? 
it but is that, maybe because it is maybe because we have all seen the type of appointments into the judiciary people who are known to be party active uh, players who are mpp or part of the government but but you're taking but, but but th this is the special prosecutor's allegation it hasn't been yes. proven that there's a gang up against him in the judiciary i thought the judiciary would have come out to refute that position up to now have they come out maybe i'm i'm not in the country well not, not the judiciary and, and you know the judiciary doesn't tend to engage the public but we've heard from the bar association and they've been very emphatic that this is not something that uh is, is supported by the facts and the evidence the bar association i don't think is the mouthpiece of the judiciary they have a public relations officer and they, they issue press releases from time to time they could have responded to those issues they decided to keep quiet. But but you and but you raise you, but you raise a fundamental point. You raise a fundamental point that the corruption perception index also touched on. I want to pull that to the deputy attorney general. Now I will tell you what today, if you read the report that the was released by the GII, it also says that there's a correlation between the deterioration of a country's justice system that then leads to reduction in accountability of public officials that also then leads to a thriving corruption that is the case in ghana is it not and this stagnation we've seen the lack of progress that we've seen in the fight against corruption traces back to a to 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 a, to a weak judiciary at least that's what the report says even uh, i think this part of the report i disagree with them 100 percent Ghana has a very strong independent judiciary. Unless, of course, people may want to say because they've lost one or two cases, the judiciary is not independent and it's also not strong. If you go to the high court complex tomorrow, it's a working day, you see how effective the judiciary is and how they do their work. But let's take it. If an office, for example, the AG's office, if we go to court, and we lose cases, it does not mean that the judiciary is weak. It might well be that we have a weak case. The judges there do not work with perceptions. They do not work with speculations. If you want to take speculation to court, and you expect that because you are a specialized agency, the courts will play soft with you. I'm sorry. The courts play with the rules that they have. Now, if you look at this report, as you said, it's about deterioration of the judicial system. That's what I'm saying. I disagree with them. But, but well, you say you disagree, but the, but the special prosecutor has spoken publicly about judges ganging up against him. That clearly yes. shows you a weak judicial system, yes. if his yes. position is true. That position, if that's a position of the SP, I also disagree with the SP. The SP is a seasoned legal practitioner, very intelligent lawyer, I know how he was practicing in private practice. And he knows, and you also know, you all know, that if you take a case to court and you lose that particular case, it does not mean that the institution, the judicial institution, is rather the one which is at fault. It might well be that you weren't able to do what you're supposed to do as an institution. That's why I gave our office as an example. We go to court, we lose cases. If you go to court and you lose case and you want to take it out, you go to the next level. If you disagree, you go to the apex court. 
And so if because the OSP has lost case, we want to use that one to say the judicial system in Ghana is weak, then we are not being fair to the judiciary. Mm. When Mr. Martin Amidu was in office, there were cases that he lost. So it's not something that is new. There are instances that you go to court, what you were expecting, you don't get it. Mr. Domlevo was talking about the judicial appointments to the judiciary, about MPP supporters, A, B, or C. Let me make this point so clear that all persons who have been appointed to the bench are people who are qualified to hold such positions. If we were to look at those the political persuasions, I can also point out a lot of all people who were also members of the NDC who also went to the bench to serve. And I'm, I'm going to be the first person to admit that they serve with distinction. I don't want to mention that there are some who are still on the bench now. So the fact that you've been served in administration does not mean that if you get appointed to the bench, you're going to do the bidding of the, of the party that you came from. So it's not true. That judicial is weak now. People are not winning cases. The institutions are not working, winning cases because people have been appointed from the governing party to serve on the bench. That is not true. Mm. I mean, the judiciary, as we all know, is not manned by angels. I concede. It's manned by individuals. They are not saints. They are bound to make mistakes. But if they make mistakes, we should not use, not use that as a base to say that institution is weak. And because of that, corruption is driving out of it. No, I disagree. Well, Daniel DeMelevo, give me your reaction to that. Well, uh, he's entitled to his opinion. But let me say that nobody is saying because cases are lost in the court. That is the reason why the judiciary is weak. But the way some of the adjudication or the cases are judged tell us a story to tell. Let me give him an, uh, an example for him to react. For instance, when the uh, anti-corruption agencies went against the Attorney General for my removal from office by the President, what made it so difficult for the judiciary to decide the case until the time that it was it was it was become a pyrrhic a pyrrhic uh, uh, victory. They gave the decision. I think what, uh, listeners may understand the word pyrrhic. They gave a decision which you have won, but it's useless. It's as good as not winning. What brought about that? And in the same judiciary, the same Supreme Court, we hear of cases that within a week or two, in fact, maximum a month, they will have dispensed with, but. This one was brought up. I remember Koku Asari even put in a plea with the judiciary that there is the need for this to be heard urgently. It took almost three good years. And read the report. When I read first, when the judgment came, I thought they were ruling the case as it should be. But when I read their judgment, I became disturbed. They are worried that they themselves may become may or may fall victim of the same situation. So they allowed the situation to stay said that I can leave office and can no more operate. Then they now protected themselves by saying it is unconstitutional. If you come out with a decision like that, you think you will applaud the judiciary? So it's not about winning or losing. Even though, in my case, I'll say we won the case, I don't think it is still right. Something might have been wrong 
when you know that Evans has been pushed out of office wrongly, he must come back to office. You wait till Evans reaches the retiring age. Then now you pronounce and say, oh, your removal is wrong. But then we can't bring you because you are, you are you you have exceeded the distance. That is the type of decisions we are talking about. Whilst we are aware that at the same Supreme Court, some cases are held with a lot of speed. Justice, I thought they say delayed is justice denied. Mm-hmm. So that is my reaction to him. That okay. we are not talking about losing or winning a case. How the cases are decided is what we are talking about. I mean, you so, may be wrong at law. So, so, but so from our point of view, it is not right. So, so Mary, so Mary, you you flagged this, and very briefly, why why was this important to flag this correlation you drew between so, the, the justice system and the success the success of the fight against corruption? So, even as we are using facts and not uh, uh, conjecturing, so we talked about the rule of law index. So the honourable, if the honourable is minded, he can also then pay attention to the various rule of law index that have been produced over time by the World Justice Project. And we've averaged just five, that, five, zero point five, which is which is just exactly. average. And so the the most we have done is about zero point six nine or so. Zero point five, zero point five nine. Five nines, thank you. And after that, we have come to the 0.5 and we continue to hang there. And honorable, we are saying that there is a clear positive correlation between the issues around the delivery of justice and the fight against corruption. Because it is very clearly established that when these scores go up, then we are able to also make progress. But when they continue to persistently come down, exactly the case as well, is the, the reverse is the situation. So we are not conjecturing at all. And, and you would agree with me that most of the issues around justice delivery have been spoken to extensively in Ghana, even though you might not agree, but these are, we are talking from the perspective of evidence and the data available and, and, and not conjecturing at all. And, and just before we wrap up. It's just, like, it's just like what we said about when a country stagnates for a long time, the tendency that it will drop is very high. So you're expecting that from next year, we may experience a drop in the score in our score. In your so if you, we took six countries to do the analysis in Africa who had stagnated who were just like us and had stagnated for a period of four years or over. And you realize that out of the six, four of those countries dropped significantly and two were able to make some gains. So I mentioned in my statement that in this case, it means Ghana, we need to be more proactive and interrogate the processes or the indicators that are used in most of these measures. And this when the president took over mm. in 2017 it's not magic we can do this okay it's just that we need more committed and we show that yeah. we want to do this. Ma- Ma- mary let me give a quick final word to um alfred alfred um there's a, there's a point that uh, the osp made today still in in an attempt to try and propose solutions one of the things he says to insulate his office and i want to pick your thought very quickly before we wrap up and just just a, a minute he says that to insulate his office from political control and all that, his office should be included 
on the Judicial Council. Um, what do you make of that? Yeah, I've not examined that proposal. I think it's, there's a constitutional need to look at. If there's a justification for it, why not? But I think it's something that we need to look at. And if it's, it's something justifiable, we may want to include the office. But one may also ask, why are we also not including, for instance, Commission of Human Rights and Administrative Justice? Why OSP? Why not the other state institutions? So these are the questions that we may also want to interrogate and see whether that suggestion is something that we may the, sec- the second suggestion he makes is that entrench his office in the Constitution, so just the way you have the, the Attorney General in the office, and so that you, you take him completely apart from, the, from, from the, uh, your office, your, the, the Attorney General's office. Uh, it's something that, that can be done, but are Ghanaians ready for it? Are ready to go through the, 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 the provision, the, 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 the rigors of a constitutional amendment? And are people ready, are Ghanaians ready that that office should be mentioned in the Constitution? Then why not the other institutions? I think these are some of the, we may want to be part of the Constitution by constitutional creature. But if you ask me now, I'll say having created the OSP through an act of parliament, if anything at all, there must be a constitutional amendment to take away the power of the attorney general when it comes to corruption cases from that fundamental point and then leave the OSP as, as a creature of, of, of an act of parliament, but not the constitution. Okay, uh, interesting points there, and that's something that we'll be exploring a bit more, those uh, two radical propositions put forward today by the OSP. Enjoy the rest of your day. Thank you very much, Mary and uh, Daniel and our friend.